Here's a question for you. If you were stranded on a deserted island, what would be the first thing you thought about? Would it be rescue? Shelter? How about finding food and water? Well, depending on how they answer this question, you can learn a lot about a person. Amazon Prime's ambitious female-led drama, The Wilds, takes the survival scenario and asks who the characters are and then who they become when society and convention are stripped away. Which is perfect because Kate and I are in the business of sussing that kind of thing out. (laughs) So without further ado, let's jump in. First off with the first episode of The Wilds, let's talk about what we knew going in. So what did you know going into the show? I knew the vague premise that it involves a bunch of um, teenage girls being stranded on an island um, and it likely had some sort of, uh, you know, Lost Boys aesthetic. Anything else? That was it. That was it. Okay. <laughs> Mine was very similar. Um, I knew that it was some kind of female version of Lord of the Flies in that they are a bunch of teenage girls get stranded on the island. I'd heard good things about it. And I remember hearing at some point that it had like an all-female creative team in terms of like writers and directors, I think. Um, I don't know if that's true because at first I thought it was all cast and crew, but then, you know, as men showed up on screen, it was like, well, clearly (laughs) it's not just women. Um, but, uh, there was one other thing that I had seen online at one point with one of the characters where early on in the show, someone makes a comment about them having a ponytail and then later in the show, they have their hair down and that, but that was like the only thing I'd really seen. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we didn't know much. Yeah. Yeah. Not much at all. I don't Um, know. (laughs) also I you know like when I would see trailers and whatnot online I wondered if one of the characters wasn't played by Zendaya like um Nora looks she looks very similar to um Zendaya's aesthetic in um Euphoria yeah yeah I can see that being like oh is that Zendaya and then looking it up and being like oh no it's not no it's not (laughs) I feel like it would have been a stronger marketing point yeah <laughs> if it had been her <laughs> right uh so getting into what actually happens in this first episode uh they have established this sort of like three narrative premise where we have the the girl i assume that we'll see the other girls in each episode um but getting interviewed by these investigators well one of them's an investigator and one of them's a trauma specialist yeah. and then there's the past which is also kind of split into between what led to them going on this retreat and then what actually happens on the island yeah it seems like we're going to get sort of a carousel narrative where um, maybe each episode we're going to hear from different girls and you know there's lots of use of flashbacks to you know, like you said, leading up to their decisions or whatever brought them to the island. And then there's the current, um, and then there's the the ongoing narrative on the island itself. And then there's the quasi-future present narrative of 
post rescue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely seems like what's going to happen. Um, so this episode focuses on Leah, who jailbaits. Yeah, <laughs> she's got a big jailbait storyline. What leads to her going on this retreat is uh, she gets really obsessed with this author guy who went to her. Um, it seems like it's a very prestigious art school, arts high school, yeah. um, and ends up having a romantic and, well, I don't know if I would even call it a romantic relationship, but definitely a sexual relationship with this author guy who's at least in his mid-20s, if not early 30s. And she has basically told him that she recently turned 18, but she's actually, I think, on the verge of turning 17. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so she's 16 when she meets him, and she lies about her age, uh, saying that she's, you know, just turning 18. And in reality, her birthday isn't for a couple of months, and um, she'll turn 17 on, on that date, so... She's a lying, life-based liar. And I would say that their relationship had romantic elements. Like, it, to me, it seemed like the they were definitely implying that he felt something for her. Mm-hmm. But understandably, upon learning her real age, he became um, far more concerned about how this might potentially ruin his life. So, um, Yeah, well, and I did appreciate that once he found out the truth, he was like, you are a child and this was not okay. Um, Because I know just in the real world, there are lots of guys who just wouldn't care. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, they would pretend ignorance is bliss. And then there was part of you that wonders like, I I mean, there's a a different line he skirts. Mm -hmm. Like he texts her first with an overture of, I can't stop thinking. He texts a high school girl that he knows is a high school girl. I can't stop thinking about kissing you. I mean, yeah, he says he's drunk, but it, don't they all? And then she offers the, 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 the lie, the reassurance that, oh, I'm just about to turn 18. And he's so happy, he gladly accepts that. And that was all he needed. He didn't need to do any sort of background research. No, want to check her driver's license. No, no. So who who can he really blame for that? It's probably a bit on both of them, <laughs> to be honest. Because like, I don't know. I mean, I in this day and age, I have a harder time figuring out how old anyone is. Yeah. Um, but if they seem young, you might want to confirm with legal documentation not just like if I met a high schooler like it it wasn't like he met her out and about like that's one thing because like you said it's hard to determine age just from physical appearance or even sometimes from behavior like I know some very mature high schoolers but he met her at her high school (laughs) yeah so there really should have been some more concern about like I, I need to know how old you are well and just that in general that like he was so quick to kind of get into this entanglement with someone he knew was in high school when he's definitely post-college. Oh yeah. And there's very much a weird power dynamic there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially since it's established immediately that she has some kind of 
crush like feelings for him. Like even yeah. when they first meet, she's already a bit enamored with his writing and with him. Yeah, there's a bit of a uh, hero worship there. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it's a little hot for teacher in that sense. And he, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. He definitely came off as the kind of personality that enjoys that. You know what I mean? Like he enjoyed her being enamored with him. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was less that he was romantically in love with her and more just, you know. Enjoyed it, basking in the yeah. affection and attention. It feels great to be to be wanted, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I put way more responsibility on him because I know like having been a teenage girl <laughs> that having crushes can be so all-consuming in very weird ways. Like I felt like that was so spot on how they portrayed that. Um, and like, it's very common for, for teenage girls to get crushes on older guys, but it is also like, they're, they are children. Like as much as teenagers can be grown up in a lot of ways, they are still children. Like their, their brains are not fully formed yet they cannot make the kinds of decisions they haven't experienced enough of the world in a lot of ways to enter these kinds of relationships with like a clear head yes absolutely like that's why they are still designated as children like this Mm -hmm. is still parental guidance and um you know and the, the impulse like you know, uh, the impulse control itself, like you, no matter how mature and level-headed they might, you know, be in their natural sort of personality, like there's a certain level of control over one's um, impulses that you just do not have until you're, you're more fully formed. You know what I mean? Like, that is a that's a form of impairment like you cannot expect a child to make the same decisions that an adult would like they 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 are literally not capable um and that's not to say that they can't you know make grown decisions and you know in certain capacities but it breaks my heart when people try and assign a level of responsibility to young people especially when it involves, there's a certain level of taking advantage, you know, like whatever, whatever grown man is getting from a teenage girl romantically, he has, he's taking advantage. Like there, there's like, I understand that feelings aren't always, you know, we can't always control how we feel and Lord knows but we can control how we act on them. Exactly. We can control how we act. And um, I picked up a girl at her. I picked up a high school girl. <laughs> and, you know, the second she turned 18, quote unquote, um, I, you know, entered a, you know, love affair with her. Dude. Um, eh. 
eh, not a lot yeah. of excuses there. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so after this author guy finds out that she is in fact not eighteen, uh, he does end the relationship and cuts off all contact with her, which sends her spiraling into massive depression and we can assume that that is why her parents sent her on this retreat yes um quick question because this just occurred to me do you think that he was more do you think that he would have ended the he ends the relationship after someone sends him her birth certificate and i'm saying someone is her guy friend because there's a guy definitely like it definitely has to be ian there we go ian he's just guy friended my little list but um yeah i don't know that they say his name in the episode but i had paused it at one point and it had his name on the screen so i wrote it down (laughs) okay so ian is definitely alluded to have feelings for her um and he just he definitely notices the relationship and so I, I 100% presume that it was Ian who sent uh, this guy the birth certificate. And it's only after he receives that and he starts freaking out that if somebody sent him this, that means that somebody knows that he starts waking out about like, you know, her being a child and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like to me, that kind of reads that like, that changes things for me. I think that he's more, cons- he was more concerned about getting he was more concerned about the ramifications yeah getting caught yeah I think I I think that a strong case can be made for the fact that like he had a fair idea that she probably wasn't 18 like I think he was playing fast and loose with well what I don't know is what I don't know Mm -hmm. possible deniability and then when he gets this anonymous like I know you're screwing around with a, a minor he starts wigging out on her. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's definitely kind of 50-50 on whether he would have ended the relationship if it hadn't been, like if he had found out from her instead of finding out from someone else. Um, Because he does still use that language of like legitimately calling her a child and seems kind of upset and disgusted by it um, hmm. in that moment so like there there definitely seems to be some kind of remorse there um because there, i don't know i maybe we needed to have a guy entering on this specific piece of the discussion but i feel like there there is definitely this thing among men where whether it's by society drilling it into their heads or or what um they always seem to want the youngest available woman that is legal i mean there's a reason why there's all these like porn sites that are like barely legal teens right because we we sexualize teenage girls so much it's true like and that's where i'm i don't know like because it was refreshing for him to not shift the blame on her in the sense that he is is viewing her as an adult and like well this was something you clearly wanted uh you knew what you were doing kind of a thing that language was absent and that was refreshing to hear him refer to her as a child but I don't know that that necessarily connotates 
disgust and or guilt over doing something with a child, I kind of read it as a bit of weaponized anger. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like he's trying, I mean, he's trying several times with, you know, ties with her brutally. And a lot of times you say the thing that you know will hurt that person and, and, you know, elevate that distance between you and your child does the trick. Yeah. And it could be, I mean, it could be for her, but it could also be a little bit for himself. Yeah. Because he clearly likes her a lot. Um, So there could be the kind of like, you are a child, I cannot do this. Like to myself, I need to keep reminding myself that I cannot do this because you are a child. Yeah. No, I agreed. I think it's so, it's so complicated. Uh, But I honestly, this topic we could talk about for like 500 years. We could. Um, We can continue our, because we've barely gotten into this recap of the episode. Um, So now that we know like why she was sent on this retreat, uh, we can talk about kind of what happens because she gets dropped off. They're taking, it's a big deal that they're taking this private jet to Hawaii. Um, And for this exclusive women's retreat called the Dawn of Eve. Dawn of Eve. Yes. And so they are up in the air and one of the girls, Shelby, who is from Texas and is like a beauty pageant queen and is very like Christian, has a boyfriend. She's like, let's do some ice breaking activities. Yeah. Very raw, raw, like, you know, clubhouse mom kind of. Yes. And so they're kind of in the midst of doing these icebreaking get to know you activities and we're we're learning more about the girls and their relationships to each other and what they're dealing with um, when the plane goes down. Yes. And Leah wakes up in the water and finds this other girl, Jeanette, and like basically drags her to this island where the other girls have also found their way Mm -hmm. um in various states of you know good health yes and distress and vomit um I feel like there was more vomit than I was anticipating but I really should have thought through what was happening um right I mean (laughs) plane crash bobbing on the ocean yeah but it was very much played for like real not for kind of like the pitch perfect funny projectile vomiting um and they all have this sort of like mysterious lapse of time in their memory which I'm like 90% sure probably more than 90% sure has something to do with the cake that they were served on that plane absolutely and the vomit a lot of it was the same dark like I I I remember literally thinking that it resembled blood yes you know, like that really dark, almost black color, which is unusual for vomit. Vomit usually yeah. pale. So I did mark that down. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Um, so they, yeah, they, they end up on the island and Jeanette is, is gravely injured mm. and they're trying to find water and see if any of them have cell phones there's a cell phone that someone has but it's very wet so they 
bury it in sand to see if it will come back to life. And all these diet sodas keep showing up <laughs> because of the sugar content that like, yeah. because it's fake sugar, it floats, whereas real sugar is too dense. Um, and uh, Shelby goes off with Tony to try to find fresh water. And there's some antagonism moments there. Yeah. So the um there are three cell phones that we see um in this entire episode okay and that's important for later but we'll we'll, we'll come back to that when we finish the recap <laughs> um but yeah okay. they'll <laughs> go off together uh, to look for water they have a bit of an antagonistic relationship because I mean, honestly, because Tony Reads is um, having feelings for Martha to me. Yeah. Some, some okay, sort of I couldn't, based on what we saw, I couldn't tell immediately if they were already in a relationship or if it was more of potentially one-sided affection from Tony for Martha. Because Martha seems like she's got a burgeoning crush on Shelby and Tony yeah. is not happy about it not happy at all in fact in my notes i have a character who's literally just not a lesbian a girl in pants not a lesbian and tony is tony definitely a lesbian <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no i uh martha is kind of has is reading as having a, a a growing attachment to to shelby and then there's that um sort of foreshadowing that Leah does in her narration of how when you meet people sometimes you just have that feeling that they're going to be important to you and it's while Shelby and um Martha are interacting with each other so mm. it could be interesting to see Shelby especially since she has this very conservative you know conservative Barbie thing going on um what all of that entanglement between the three of them means definitely um so that happens and it kind of results in tony snapping a branch in shelby's face and yeah. knocking her down the hill which i'm guessing was a much stronger consequence than she was anticipating yeah like i think she was really just thinking that it was going to just like hit smack her in the face and be kind of an annoyance for a second but it like really took her out yeah no it cut her on the side of the head and she started yeah. bleeding or I mean, maybe she cut herself, you know, as she oh, fell. Yeah. yeah. She definitely read like she was just trying to, you know, annoy her, not mm -hmm. physically injure her. Yes. <laughs> um, but they they get back down to the beach, and Jeanette, they find another. The cell phone starts working, um, so they're all trying to decide who they're going to call because there's like one bar and very little battery left in this phone, and a lot and, of empty made on whoever you call make sure it is somebody who's gonna be waiting by the phone to pick up and somebody who's definitely gonna answer yes girl yes. in pants not a lesbian by her her reaction we know that um uh she doesn't have i would presume she doesn't have a great home life because she very much is like i have no one to call yeah um, what is her real name dot dot okay dot yeah 
Yeah. We'll talk more about that later. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll talk more about all of them later, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so they, they all try, well, not all of them, but a few of them start trying to make phone calls and the calls will not connect. And then finally, I don't remember which girl it is, but it starts ringing and she kind of walks away from the group. But as she does that, uh, Jeanette also walks away and starts vomiting blood and collapses and dies. Mm, yes. And then as Jeanette dies, the phone also dies. And the girls have this very sweet moment of, of burying her, burying Jeanette. And Jeanette earlier in the episode had been talking about how Pink was her favorite artist. So they sing, um, what do they sing? Zonkly. <laughs> um, if you do, why do you smash your pants that you're probably a bit so raise your glass there we raise go. your glass <laughs> like if i go through the lyrics i'll figure it out <laughs> um yeah these these like eight teenage girls stranded on this island just to sing this pink party song to commemorate this girl's death and and then they gather around a bonfire and have a little never have i ever game and sort of bond and that's kind of where we leave that storyline since it's it's called day one so I'm assuming each episode is going to be about a different day that they are on this island um so then in the more like present day Leah is being interrogated or questioned I guess by this investigator and trauma specialist and kind of framing this whole story far from it and there are so many interesting questions that they have about what was going on. Um, like they were asking earlier on, like when they were talking about when the crash happened, there were a lot of questions on like how far into the flight were they and how far did she have to swim to get to land? So it seems from, from those questions, it makes me think, actually we should I should maybe back up because we haven't introduced the whole other part of this episode, um, which is that there is an organization, this Dawn of Eve retreat. Mm -hmm. This crash was 100% planned. Yeah, we kind of, that is confirmed at the at very end of the episode, which is, you know, what I thought we were headed towards but yes <laughs> yes it's so important to establish that now because it it plays into so many of the characters choices like yes the mystery behind it all yes so there's this dawn of eve organization so gretchen the woman who is kind of like welcoming them in the video to this retreat um finds out that jeanette has died and Jeanette was apparently a secret operative mm -hmm. that was part of the organization and she goes into this control room that has all these like go boxes like it was not a very set up room it was very much like we're gonna potentially have to move at any moment type setup yeah and they have cameras all over the island to watch the girls and what's happening yes and interestingly enough um Jeanette um, Leah mentions that 
and they didn't realize this at first, but all, all the other girls, like all of the girls had come in pairs. Mm-hmm. Like Jeanette is there, or sorry, uh, Leah is there with, um, I call her Juilliard. Patine. Um, so Patine goes to uh, the same school as uh, Leah. And then, so they're a pair and then all the other girls are paired off in some way, all except for Jeanette who ended up being the plant. Um, but um, the, um, you know, the Dawn of Eve woman, whatever her name is, um, when she's, uh, you know, receiving the news that Jeanette has unfortunately passed, um, she says that they have a second operative on the island. So that begs the question of, is it somebody among the girls or is it somebody on the island that we, is there somebody on the island with them that we haven't seen yet, um, which could cause some potential mayhem. Do you have any theories on who it is? I do. I do actually have some theories. (laughs) What are your theories? I actually think that um, my my two running theories are this. Leah herself is one of the plants or um, Shelby might be. And my justification for Leah starting is that um, she is the only person seen to have come into contact with all three phones that we see in the episode. The first phone being the one that was going off in Jeanette's case. Um, you know, when, when Leah initially wakes up and, you know, she's floating in the water initially, um, there's a pink suitcase that's floating nearby and she hears the cell phone playing pink go off. And so we can kind of presume that it's Jeanette's um, suitcase she swims over to it. She opens this waterproof suitcase like an idiot and attempts to grab the cell phone, drops it into the ocean, and there goes a cell phone. The Is second it cell phone. She, when she rescues Jeanette and Jeanette starts singing the song, she goes, Oh, was that your cell phone? It's never really confirmed, but at present, Leah is assuming that. Because mostly because Jeanette has a cell phone. That goes exactly. off at the end of the episode. Yeah. And then we find out later that Jeanette had a second cell or a potentially second cell phone um, on her person that she was buried with that she told none of the others about, obviously because she was a plant and she couldn't do so, um, that worked and Leah uses it to call her, her ex her ex-grown adult and, <laughs> and doesn't tell any of the others. And all of that combined with the fact that she was the one who rescued Jeanette and Jeanette kept hugging her and saying that I'm sorry. And Leah tells her like, you don't have anything to be sorry for. And you know, Jeanette says, no, you don't understand. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, it could be thought that, oh, you know, in her delirium, because she is internally bleeding, she's slowly dying in front of us. Um, in her delirium, she's apologizing for her part in putting them on this island. <laughs> and perhaps 
she's the reason why they're able to get a call out in the first place. Because around the time where, you know, when uh, I think it's Fatim is using the phone. I think so. Maybe. Yeah. Before that, everybody else had tried to make calls, but they weren't going through. Um, and they were all shocked by that. Like, well, why would this person not pick up? I don't understand. Fatim and, and Jeanette walk away around the same time. And that's when it starts going through for her. And then it cuts off when uh, Jeanette collapses. I'm not 100% certain on that exact timing, but that's what I remember. And so it's very possible that Jeanette, uh, Jeanette tried, it did something that allowed, that stopped jamming the cell phone, right? Like that allowed the, the call to go through. Mm-hmm. And then she has her personal cell phone, which isn't being jammed. Um, which she was buried with and that Leah finds and uses before any of the others can. So. And then it gets cut off. Yeah. And then it gets cut off. Um, So I think it's, it's, it's something that you can't quite ignore that thus far, she's the only person who's been in contact with all three means of potential escape. She's the one who's had the most contact with Jeanette. And um, she's the only one Jeanette said I'm sorry to. Like, I mean, she wasn't saying it to the others. She was talking specifically to Leah, which could mean something. Yeah. But what do you think? So I, I also have two theories and they're both completely different from yours. <laughs> um, so my first theory was, uh, that I, I, I don't I don't know how I feel about this. Um, we'll we'll see. Um, but early on, after they all kind of get to the island or they're getting on the island in that weird sort of early part, uh, one of the girls asks what happened to the flight attendant. Mm. So I'm wondering if they might send the flight attendant in. Um, I only question that because the flight attendant was a guy. And it seems like this experiment, they're definitely trying to keep it just these girls. Right. For but whatever they're work, doing. That would work if the the second plant or overseer, that actually makes sense to me. Like Jeanette would be a better like plant to have because she's a woman, she's part of the experiment. And but then they have a backup plan. Yeah. And the backup is this guy who just is on the island but he's not directly interacting with the girls, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's that. Um, and then I also, w- I was thinking through all the girls and like what we know about them so far, how they wound up on this island, what backstories we have. And perhaps it's too obvious, but it feels like Dot would be a good contender just because what we've seen of her life outside of this retreat and on this island is taking care of some man that I'm presuming is probably like her father um, in a hospital bed. And she has definitely had to like grow up very quickly. But given that her father is in that kind of medical state, I could see why she would need money. And I don't know how she would be able to afford to go on the retreat in the first place. Mm. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure like, like there's no one necessarily that we're seeing that would be able to like 
sent her on this trip because it seems like she like her mom might not be in the picture so I'm not sure who would be in charge of sending her on this unless we get to her episode and it's like her father dies and she gets taken in by some other relative who is then like you need to like right find yourself (laughs) whatever yeah 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 no I mean I will say that with the possibilities are endless and that's kind of exciting um until we get more information on you know the Mm -hmm. other girls and what brought them here um I mean your guess is as good as mine um (laughs) so but I totally that's a good point about that and what we know now yes in this episode just this episode how is she affording this trip Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so we'll see um but to kind of go back to the questions that the the investigators I'm just going to call them the investigators because I know one of them isn't an investigator but it's too annoying to say the investigator and the trauma specialist every time um I happen to think that they're both investigators. One of them just is playing good cop. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, he could be an investigator and a trauma specialist. It's true. But they could also be saying it. I mean, that's that's the thing with this show because we're getting everything from people's perspectives. Like, I feel like none of them are reliable. I don't really trust any of these characters. Oh yeah, and you're definitely not supposed to, but there was, he re- he knew her favorite drink. Like. Was it a guess or did he know? Coincidence? But nothing is a coincidence on screen. No. <laughs> um, yes, so they are asking very pointed questions about like how long into the flight did it go down? How far did she have to swim? which makes me think that whenever the girls end up back on not island soil, it's going to be under very mysterious circumstances. Mm. Like, like they get dropped off somewhere on like a beach in like Los Angeles or something. Like they're going to show up and not be rescued. Ooh, that yeah no I could see that because it it feels like they're trying to figure out like where were they exactly and if they had been actually rescued from where they were they would know where they were yeah no it very much had that feeling of you have a lot to account for Mm -hmm. and I was just like um I I have a lot to account for I was in a plane that went down (laughs) I don't know (laughs) yeah uh, so that that was that was interesting to me, and it also gives me kind of like weird. I mean, between that and and the whole video thing, it gave me very strong Hunger Games vibes. Very. So it leads us to the question of who's getting who's alive, who's getting hurt, who's getting mangled. The thing is, is that like so many things can happen to individual characters but we already have one dead girl so it's nothing's off the table like one is already dead um cannibalism to death yeah i mean let's let's go through each character so leah is our narrator for the first episode and 
that she is post getting okay. off. She makes it off the island. Yes. By, by her being there. Yeah, she clearly makes it off the island with, it seems, relatively little physical harm. It was, her toes were looking real mangled. Yeah. So maybe they had climbed. Maybe. Like they made a point of dragging the camera up her body to show her physical injuries and she was not unharmed, but it wasn't like you've been severely, you know. And was it her? Because like I feel like they were showing us a few different girls getting examined in the beginning, but I I didn't go back to watch it after I knew who everyone was. I thought it was I thought the the foot shot was Maybe. all her because she was in that gown, okay. but yeah, it oh, could be. Yeah. Um, but there's different, like, I had initially when I was thinking about what I would hope that her arc would be was kind of like getting over this guy, but that's clearly not what has happened given her questioning of the investigators because she did make that call to him and was just like really, really emotional about asking if he had reached out when the news broke of their plane going down, like, did yeah. he put up an SOS? Yeah, she was very lyrical and poignant about the fact that um, she was not free of this as much as she had hoped she would be. Mm -hmm. Understood that it was pathetic, and, uh, but that's it. That's, that's the cage that she's in. I think something's gonna happen to that book. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, they might just have to use it for kindling at some point. Right. Yeah. No, she's she's losing the book, um, and that's possibly going to cause her to have some sort of. She has a very. I think Leah. And part of this may be the writing because the writing is very, very poignant or at least trying it's trying very hard to be poignant <laughs> um leah has a savagery to her in the in the you know quote unquote present day you know in the interrogation scenes she has a hardness to her that's not present in the her past you know in her, in her flashbacks um well i feel like that can even be somewhat summed up in her line as we kind of went into the first section on the island where she I wrote this down she said what was so fucking great about the lives we left behind oh yeah yeah she um so my thought is is that I think Leah by the end she has done some fucked up shit I think they're all gonna have to, you know, face, you know, it's very Lord of the Flies in that sense. Um, and very, you know, the original Neverland Lost Boy aesthetic, which was not as cute as the Disney film made it. Uh, <laughs> uh, where she's going to have to I think being in this place, they're eventually gonna have to set up some sort of hierarchy you know, like somebody or some persons are in charge and other people end up following, which create friction, frictions, right? And then how do we as a society, because you are forming a society, 
Um, how do we as a society handle frictions? How do we handle misbehavior? Um, all of that stuff is going to have to be hammered out somehow. And I think that, I don't know, I stand by my statement that I think that there's a savagery, savagery that I saw in Leah. And I think that of all the characters, she's going to kind of thrive, but not in a necessarily positive way. She's going to find out that she enjoys this very small pond um, where she kind of gets to be and do things that she could never normally do because she's so bland and nothing ever happens to her. Yes, as she says herself. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that happening. She does have she has a quality to her. And we haven't seen any of the other girls in the post mm-hmm. section yet. So I'm not sure if all of them are gonna have a bit of an edge to them that they didn't have before. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I necessarily see them splitting into factions. Um, I'm kind of hoping that they won't. Like, I, it always just, it makes me think of the, uh, the anthropological, the proof of the first society was a healed bone. Mm. And, and how that's really about community and taking care of each other. And they are, like, they all kind of have their own strengths and abilities that I think are going to kind of come through and they're going to have to build this community together and lean on each other for a lot of stuff Um, but it's I think it's going to be interesting seeing how the kind of like constructs of society fall away yeah because so much of them are like, they're focused on these very different specific aspects of society. And it's, it weirdly is very much giving them an opportunity to be exactly who they are. Oh yeah. I think, do you think that that's the whole, do you think that that's the purpose of the Dawn of Eve experiment? Like- I think so. We'll obviously provide stressors and whatnot, but let's see. What yeah, happened? No. I mean, there's even like in the pamphlet that I think Martha reads at one point uh, when they're on the beach and she's like, uh, so that you can grow into yourself. And it's like, that sounds like an ingrown toenail or something. Yeah, yeah. there's um, lots of language about coming into, coming into, you know, finding yourself and growing into yourself and- Without the pressures of society around you. Yeah a bunch of girls on the island and let them be exactly who they are and see what happens um death and mayhem is what i predict (laughs) no um it would be really i think that like that's the obvious choice but i think that it would be very interesting interesting if we saw that despite all the stressors and obviously it's a television show so they have to have interesting things happen they have to have like conflict yeah i mean and they're, they've already established some potential interpersonal drama that's coming yeah. yeah but i think that it would be really interesting if what we expected was lord of the flies you know we expected some girl to get eaten at some point and you know thrown off a cliff or you know whatever it is and what we got was these women really coming you know like not to use the same hokey language but like stripping away the 
like the, the traumas and the hurts that they came with and being able to finally deal with those, not obviously coming into some sort of perfect healing, but creating a society that's based off of, you know, like clearly all we have is each other right now. And none of that stuff matters. We made a lot of Diet Coke. Yeah. <laughs> and um, sort of using that to create a stronger society together, even if it looks a little bit savage to us, you know what I mean? Like um, that would be interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Leah, we know obviously gets off the island. Shelby. Shelby. We don't know. Texan beauty queen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that we're, I don't know. Like I, I, I will just say right now, I don't think that any of the rest of the girls are going to die. Mm. I definitely see that they, they could get injured along the way in, in various ways, but I don't think that any of them will die. It doesn't feel like it's that kind of show to me. Um, but that could just be my reading of it. Because <laughs> mm. it, it seems like it's very much about this group of girls. It's very psychological. It's about, I would agree that it doesn't really have a weird trying to it doesn't have a very like jump scare gory kind of feel it feels almost a little bit like lost like early days of lost where it was more about the unanswered questions and getting to the heart of this mystery and the inter the interpersonal relationships with the people on the island but then we 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 saw what happened with lost and if you didn't then um I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I've only seen one episode of it ever. (laughs) And it was not the first episode. It was a very random episode. Um, Somewhere in the middle? uh, Yeah, I could say what happens in it because it was very memorable, but I did that spoilers for a different show. So, (laughs) right. So, needless to say, the point being that, like, the, the whole feeling of the show from beginning to end had drastically changed and lots of fans have different feelings about that um so there's nothing saying that it can't change but right now I would agree with you that like it doesn't feel like it is interested in just massacring these girls in various ways and entertaining you through that it's very much about there's a running theme of I'm going to keep using this word but there's a running theme of the world itself being a very savage place for for girls to grow up in yes like it's not the island that's savage it's the world that's savage and so there's potential for them to um do some really great things with that you know on the island especially if the girls are coming together rather than devolving into the chaos that we expect um but having said that there are several they could be red herrings and they also could be foreshadowing, you know? About um, Shelby? Shelby in particular delivers one of them. Um, she and Tony, had, when they're on there searching for water um, moment, um, she and Tony are having that argument about her being a uh, castle princess or something, you know, essentially 
you're a stuck up rich girl who's never had to do it you know do, do any anything hard, hard ever in your life <laughs> soft you know versus tony who is a literal you know beacon for lesbian stereotypes um who is apparently here because she threw piss at a girl who annoyed her um <laughs> through her own piss um <laughs> and shelby delivers this line quite poignantly you know of how you know like when you know going hunting with her father like she has shot killed skinned deboned a buck you know in whatever how however quickly she managed to do it um and she delivers it like uh don't kind of don't mess with me don't presume that i don't have uh the capacity for violence in me because you know that's that's what tony is kind of about you know like this tough girl act of make my way through the world with my fists you know so and so so to speak and so it was interesting to me that she kind of delivered that pass of like don't presume you're the only one who knows how to uh exert their dominance over another living creature yeah. and you know like it's there so it could be it's funny because i didn't even like go that deeply into it for me it very much read as like you think I'm just like this stuck up girl who's like never gotten dirty doing anything and all I care about is hairspray but like I'm more multifaceted than that like I do these other things it also makes me wonder how wealthy she actually is yeah she has that whole she has a, a mouth problem she has a yeah she has two fake teeth like right towards the front of her mouth that she gets cake stuck in her uh, dentures I guess they'd be called um and goes to the the plain restroom to wash them to wash it out and I'm assuming that those teeth are going to come out at some point oh yeah and kind of this whole facade even like not that it's necessarily entirely a facade but but this image of this like Texas beauty queen and this blonde haired, blue eyed, perfect girl, that image is going to get shattered and kind of yeah. released. And time. then what is going to come out in response to that? You know what I mean? Cause that's a pressure point for her. Like she's very tied to that image. Like she's, she's seen almost panicking, you know, when someone, you know, comes you know close to her when she doesn't have them in and, um, so if you remove that, if you shatter something so close to her personal, you know, what makes her feel safe, what makes her feel, you know, presumably valued, um, it'll be interesting to see what comes out in response. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, like, it's so hard with any time you watch a show, it's hard to figure out, like, how much you should read into things, right? Because you know there's the writer part of you that's like everything is symbolism everything can mean something but sometimes shows are just meant to be like yeah no they said the thing and we're here to enjoy ourselves <laughs> you know so like but this does feel like a very tightly written show yeah. like it, it doesn't feel like a show where where there's a lot of just kind of like throwaway stuff like everything does feel like it has some kind of meaning mm -hmm. um 
especially with these with this number of characters like you don't you don't really even have the time to have throwaway material oh yeah like everything has to have a purpose of showing character of foreshadowing what's coming of establishing this world and who they are and the narrative itself encourages you to ask questions and try to unravel the mystery which tells me that um it tells me like yeah no it it's it's things are there and they're written for a purpose you just need to figure out what the where the crumbs are leading and what is actually a crumb and what is your paranoid um (laughs) you know dive into analysis since we touched on this a little bit earlier and seeing the beginnings of Martha's interest in Shelby, um, do we think that will lead anywhere? Like Shelby seems very attached to this boyfriend she has back home, Andrew, who bought her a star for her birthday. And they're both saving themselves for marriage. Um, I definitely think that something is going to go down between the two of them. I mean, you know, like, like we talked about previously, you know, Leah foreshadows it. Like there's a connection between Shelby and Martha, mm-hmm. but there's also a connection between Shelby and Tony now. If by, you know, because they're, they're sort of doing this triangle and I don't know if, Shelby is going to go as far as to enter a sort of like romantic relationship with either one of them. But interestingly enough, the idea of threesomes came up within the episode. It did. Then, I mean, like they, they put that idea in the in, in, out in the other, um, which could, you know, be neither here nor there, but to be noted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, because also to be noted, when they were talking about it, it was specifically with Patine's character, who is kind of introduced as uh, comfortable with her sexuality. Sexually liberated. Sexually liberated, thank you. Um, and the question is, the questions she's asked to specify is, was it uh, two guys and her, or two or a guy and a girl and her, but there was never a question of if it was two other girls. Yeah, because I'm forgetting, I was like, um, you and your boyfriend had a threesome with another guy. I guess that could, I could see whether that would be like, oh my gosh. Yes, so we've established that it seems that Fatine as a character has had threesomes with potentially her boyfriend and one other guy and also with another girl, but not necessarily a threesome with two other women. Yes. Good. That's that's what we are assuming based on the language used in the episode. Um, but it does leave it the door open for this potential threesome with three girls that could happen on the island. Yeah. This which will- could make sense with with Shelby and and Tony and Martha just given the relationship dynamics yeah although I don't 
like I I don't know I legitimately don't know with what we've seen with Shelby if she would be okay with that there's definitely oh a lot more to her under the surface oh yeah okay is not what I would say (laughs) she would be but you know I think that if it were to happen we would have to there'd be a lot that she would go through between now and that point of being Mm -hmm. accepted any kind of romantic feeling that she had for another girl period you know um because there's a lot that she's still in one episode they've managed to show us that like she's not even accepting of herself um her physical self let alone you know anything that might be going on with her emotionally um which is interesting you know uh there's some good character work there but um the so the back to the question of is anybody else going to die i think that especially if they end up getting off the island themselves rather than being rescued and especially given how like they're all like physically they take the time to show us that they're physically injured um in some way i think that i think there's a fair chance that we might lose at least one more character between now and the end of the, the season. Okay. Who um, do you think that will be? Laura. Mm. And here's why. Nora is, um, she strikes me as um, non-neurotypical, you know? Yeah, neurodivergent, definitely. Yeah. Um, she has a very complicated relationship with her sister um, who, are they in the same grade? Is one, old, who, who's the older, younger? Um, I'm, I, they don't seem like they're in the same grade. It kind of reads like Rachel, who's the sister who dives. Um, yeah, she seems like she might be the older sister, but... But it's kind of Nora who sort of looks after her well-being to a degree. Right. Because Rachel is a professional. Uh, Rachel's training for the Olympics, apparently. Like, yeah. Got a hardcore swim coach. She's got like. She's got whole- an app on her phone that can weigh her food. Weigh her food. Like her, one of the, they have this whole segment where they talk about like what they all did in the moments when the plane was crashing and they thought it would thought it might be their last moments and Rachel is gorging herself on this piece of cake um and um Nora is trying to protect herself she curls into a ball and just sort of you know puts her hands over her head I love how I did the motion like yeah, make- like anyone else can see it except me <laughs> um so especially since Nora has this very protective um feeling for Rachel she's trying her best to look out for her Rachel's clearly emotionally constipated there's some hints that she might struggle with like an eating disorder you know number one weighing her food and also when she's throwing up uh and uh Nora makes a comment about that Rachel kind of blows up about her about like oh I can't stop throwing up because we just went through this harrowing you know thing I gotta be sick you know so there's obviously some like history there um 
And because they have such a complicated relationship. I mean, that's definitely gonna blow up at some point. Oh, yeah. um, that is definitely going to blow up at some point. And there's the very real thing that like in story, when you have siblings together, especially in points of crisis, the ten there's a there's a very strong desire for writers to tear them apart, like literally and phys physically, because it's an I mean, it is what it is. It's an easy way to get to the heart of the emotions, like losing a sibling, um, whether that's because they've gone missing or they go crazy or whatever it is. There, it, it's an it's not an easy. I keep wanting to say easy. I mean. I'll just say it with my whole chest. It's an easy way to quickly, number one, get to the heart of your audience, but number two, establish some sort of mental, emotional trauma in the sibling that is left behind. You talking about that just made me think of another thing that could happen, um, particularly since I'm not convinced that it, anyone else will die. Um, I could see Nora potentially getting left on the island. Mm. Like if they, if the girls do try to make like a, a break for it, a, a, an escape plan, try to get off the island. A um, raft, you know? Yeah, like some kind of raft, if it couldn't actually hold all of them. And they're like, well, Nora, she knows all this stuff so she can survive while we go back and get help. Mm -hmm. But then they don't know where they were. Mm -hmm. So there's also potentially sort of a rescue mission going on where they're still trying to find one of the girls. Yeah. That's who what, hasn't been recovered. That would be sick. Yeah. I like that. I like that theory a lot. But yeah, no, I mean, I think that if we're going to get... Um, somebody dying then Nora's kind of in that hot zone because she has that sibling relationship with Rachel and because she knows a lot I mean when you have when you have characters who are providing early knowledge at some point it just it just makes them more meaningful to be lost <laughs> yeah you know? um I think if you had uh, to pick someone to die Nora is a potentially good option. I'd say Martha is also on the table because yeah. they make a big point of talking about how she cares so much about other living things. Oh yeah. That she's definitely someone who I could see sacrificing herself. Oh yeah. No, I, I see that too. And there's, and because she's in that triangle relationship, whatever it amounts to with Shelby and Tony, um, that also makes her a, a trigger point. Yeah. Whatever goes on with her will affect those other two. So that kind of puts her in the hot zone for potential mishaps. <laughs> yes. So Fatine, who we kind of touched on. Yes. She is a cello prodigy mm -hmm. who's like basically a shoo-in at Harvard, or not at Harvard, at Juilliard. Yeah. Um, which they establish when they're kind of in the, the backstory for Leah. And she's very sexually liberated. Uh, we see her be very into appearances and like these, these graphic 
skimpy tank tops and when they find her suitcase there's like a huge case in the suitcase that's just full of makeup um so there's she has a lot of attachment to her external image um and i'm wondering how that's going to play off of everything else like it seems like because she is this cello prodigy that her parents could have very much pushed her towards this this life of becoming a professional musician so for her the sexual liberation and makeup and the looks is kind of the way that she is able to control and express herself yeah in a way a that her parents aren't controlling yeah since she would feel like she doesn't have a lot of control over so many other aspects of her life right yeah i could i can definitely see that being an element of her character going forward um and there is again the, the foreshadowing of leah but and when she says you know and if you happen to be sexually liberated god help you um or you know if we happen to be talking about all women yeah but leah's little nothing leah says in the beginning like in her in her narration i'm discounting none of it because it's all so pointedly placed and it's meant to make you think and it's meant to make you wonder ooh, what's about to happen to these women and um it, it alludes to the overlap overlining themes of the show so i'm trying not like i'm discounting nothing at this point <laughs> Um, and I, it did spark my, it, her saying that line before we even really met Fatim, the entire, like, it made me view her as something of a victim. Yeah. From the get go. Like, I'm waiting for something to happen to this girl. And I think that's intentional. I'm waiting for something to either happen to her or to have happened to her in the past yeah yeah they could uh definitely kind of circumvent it that way and and show how um her life you know her life was hellish before because you know the world itself is the hell not the island mm -hmm. and being on the island allowed her to allows her to do something different whether that's healing or not we'll see but I think that I think that you're probably on the right track with um, her being very attached to her physical, you know, her her outer image and um, kind of using sex and relationships to, you know, kind of gain a little bit of control. And when she when that's when that control is stripped away from her, we're going to have to see how she regains it again. And in this very specific context where those tools are no longer available you know mm -hmm. and she does seem generous because like she doesn't hesitate at all to just be like yeah please take my clothes like just yeah. stay warm like <laughs> yeah no question but there they make the point to show that that isn't her first instinct like she's sitting she's chilling in her hoodie doing her makeup when she realizes belatedly that like oh other people that are martha is freezing and yeah. 
Yes. And she's like, oh God, yeah. So like, she's not a mean person, but selfishness, selflessness is not her first instinct. Yeah. For now. Yeah. 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 Um, so then Dot. I feel yeah. like I feel like Dot was the character we actually saw the least of in this episode. That we we got the least backstory for her. We got the least of her within the episode, other than her showing up with her cargo shorts and being like, I'm not a lesbian. And like my notes include dad sick, smokes, isn't a lesbian, cargo shorts. Like that, that's what I had written down for her um, as a character. And I'm curious about what she's going to go through. I mean, like she's definitely high on my list of are you the second secret operative or mm. not? Um, After your little bit of sleuthing earlier, she's, I, I'm, I'm up there with you. Mm. Um, but she definitely has some kind of aversion to Fatine's like girly girl-ness. Yeah. And I'm curious where all of that comes from. I mean, I know like even growing up, I went through a phase of after getting over like Barbie everything of sort of rejecting femininity um, before being like, who cares? Like, who cares? Right. <laughs> I like pink. It's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it feels like she could be kind of in that state of rejecting the feminine. Mm -hmm. So I guess the natural progression for her would to become more in touch with and more accepting of her feminine nature, mm -hmm. whatever that means. Mm. Yeah, no, I could see that. And getting to be a child. Yes. Because she's so she's shown as being the like medical caretaker for yeah. who I'm just going to presume as her father. Um, that she clearly has had kind of like a stunted adolescence. Yeah. When Leah's doing her whole prose about how tough it is to be a girl in the world. Oh, you know, Rachel's living under um, unrealistic expectations um that was forced to grow up too quickly yeah and make adult decisions so maybe this is her opportunity to not have to make adult decisions which i want to believe but here on this deserted island where we don't know how we're going to survive i think a lot of adult decisions are on their way they know how they're going to survive they're just going to drink diet coke <laughs> it's all gonna be fine you know the one thing that like stood out to me was that they made this big point of having limited water you know limited drinking supplies and then they crack open the alcohol like the first night I'm like that that's, that's a great way to dehydrate yourself <laughs> <laughs> but it felt very much like a teenage decision yes <laughs> yeah and it's like maybe you should wait to open the alcohol until you have clean water that you can drink right you know but also, like, who's to say if you didn't get stuck on a deserted island with nothing but Diet Coke and alcohol that you wouldn't be like, you know what? Okay. It's been a long day. I'm going to have some alcohol. <laughs> right? You know what? It's mood stabilizing. And after being, after 
being through everything that they went through that day, the, the impulse to, I, I need a drink would be strong. And yeah. I don't feel like it. The numbing, taking the edge off. Yeah. Of all the panic and the fear and the uncertainty. And I think that's also kind of, uh, it, it kind of speaks to the, I don't know if it's a natural instinct, but the, uh, the instinct that a lot of teenagers have that, you see a lot in media where it's like as soon as the parents go out of town they have a big party with alcohol and like that's always like that is the stereotype that is the thing um so it does make sense that like as soon as they are immediately outside of any environment created by society the first instinct would be like well let's have fun and drink alcohol because that is what we're kind of primed to think we should do yeah when we don't have supervision yeah, let's play this, you know, dumb party game, you know, mm-hmm. in, in memory of Jeanette and um, drink this alcohol. It's very, it's an island party. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting party. <laughs> you know, it's the big party just, you know, scaled down to a deserted island or, or you know, quote unquote deserted. Yeah. So I think we've, I mean, I feel like we've talked about the characters pretty, yeah, pretty good. Um, so many of them are so tied together that it's hard to talk about them individually. Um, so what would you say, final episode, like where, I know we kind of touched on, you know, you talked about how you think you're, you think they're getting off the island on their own steam. And that's I don't think they're getting off the island on their own steam. Really? No. You think, I think you you said that um i thought because they were you, talking- said, um, you didn't think that people know it didn't seem like people knew how they got yes there. yes because i think it's going to be more of like donna Eve is going to come in and drug them and like drop them oh back into society okay yeah so they're going to like arrive back under extremely mysterious circumstances got you got you um they could try to get out on their own and maybe maybe they they sort of do it feels kind of like it does feel very like truman show slash hunger games-esque in that like i i almost wonder if they're not actually outside Ooh, like if they're in some kind of artificial facility the only reason I kind of question that is because that office with the cameras and everything has it's not set up very well like it it is very much like everything is packed in boxes so they can leave the second they need to um I feel like if they built a facility or like an arena type situation um they would be much more set up and more like uh what I'm trying to say they'd be much more established like it would yeah, be much more-, more established more lived in i guess um but yes it it i don't i don't know that they will actually get off of their own accord yeah. and i don't oh. think that they will be rescued by outsiders i think it will be a decision by the dawn of eve to drop yeah. them somewhere okay yeah no i i was presuming um i assumed and uh, misinterpreted what you were saying. So <laughs> I apologize, but no, um, fine. 
I think that, I think it's very possible that Donna Eve is going to, uh, it's either going to be Donna Eve who is going to pull the plug on the experiment and then get them off the islands, you know, uh, trying to cut their losses. But in that same vein, I think that it doesn't seem like they have a lot, they don't, it seems like their control of the situation is limited, right? Like Jeanette was not meant to die. No. So when this plane went down. Um, or whatever actually happened. Whatever actually happened. She was injured so severely that she bled to death, essentially. Um, so, and they didn't find out about it until they were watching the cameras that night, watching them bury this chick. So their, um, their amount of control is limited. Um, and it seems to be largely limited to whatever plant they now have left on the island. Um, so the legal, and you, you have to think about the legal ramifications of this being like insane. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't, I, that makes me think that they're going to try, if, if they would do anything, they would try to cover their tracks. Like they wouldn't bring the girls off the island, especially if nobody knows where they are. You know what I mean? Like their liability more than their anything, you know? But would they kill them? Like at some point they, like I could, I could see it being their decision. I could see it being their decision to get the girls off the island and like just drop them back into society after like drugging them. Um, Just because like they, like at some point they're going to have to realize that either they have to trap these girls on this island forever and hope that no one ever finds them. Yeah. Or they have to kill them or they have to return them, but in a way where they don't know where they were and no one else knows where they were. I mean, at this point, they can literally just leave them on the island and wait for them to die off naturally. You know what I mean? They're not, um, no one knows where they are. Presumably they chose a location that isn't heavily trafficked by charters and whatnot. So if they, if they wash their hands tomorrow, the likelihood of these girls surviving long-term is probably pretty short, right? So there's that. And there's also the fact that like, there's the, how moral are these people when they're willing to do this experiment in the first place? Yes. <laughs> and then continue with it after one of their, one of their, their plant, a teenage girl dies. I mean, they don't, they heavily imply that they're continuing. Like their, their main concern isn't with shutting down. It's with how do we continue to control our experiment? Don't worry, we have another plant. You know what I mean? So um, I don't, I don't, I'm not real sold on their moral uh, upstanding. <laughs> no, it does. Did you ever watch Homecoming or listen to Homecoming? Um, it, w- it was a podcast that turned into an Amazon series. No. Okay. It it's gives not- me very strong vibes of that too. Uh, just that there's like, it's, it's framed with this therapist type character who's getting interviewed in the present day and doesn't actually remember what happened 
in the past and there's sort of shady things going on um, with where she used to work. But it, it gives me strong vibes like that, which definitely makes me think we're gonna end this season with way more questions than we have answers. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, if they're smart, they'll do it that way. They gotta entice us to come back for season two. Yeah, yeah. And if, if Dot is the plant and they do just get dropped off somewhere, I could see Dot being the one that they think is like still on the island. still needs rescuing I don't know I'm curious I will say when we when we planned to watch this show I was like I have no intention of watching the whole show like I'm just gonna watch the first and last episodes but this episode has me so intrigued that I'm like I want to watch this show yeah no I I kind of felt the same way as soon as it ended I was like dang it got me I wasn't expecting it no the, the trailers didn't really capture my attention beyond like okay cool girls on an island maybe i'll maybe i'll watch it maybe i won't i won't but like <laughs> now i'm intrigued now maybe i will <laughs> so i guess that answers answers one of our questions of would you watch <laughs> yes because now i want to <laughs> <laughs> would you go back and watch the entire season well yes <laughs> At least this is only one season yeah, so far. True. Yeah. That's a wrap on this episode of What You Missed On. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. You can find the show on Twitter at WYMO Podcast. You can find Kim on Twitter at KJOUR and Kate on Instagram at Your Story Unstuck. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.